Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Today's podcast is supported by PantsAndSocks.com. As I'm sure you can guess, PantsAndSocks.com sells men's underwear. It stocks all the leading designer brands from your Calvin Kleins to your Hugo Bosses, from Ralph Lauren to Ted Baker. Cricket is very important to the guys at Pants and Socks and they count Jason Roy among their fans. There's a man who understands great support. So if you're listening to this wearing saggy, slightly faded underwear, get yourself to pantsandsocks.com and treat yourself to some fresh, well-fitting designer underwear. Anyway, on with the show. India's win at Lords for just the third time ever after an extraordinary final day that saw England start the day as favourites only to see their hopes evaporate in a crazy second hour at the home of cricket. We'll be talking about that test match and much more on today's show. I'm Yaz Rana and today I'm joined by former England batsman Mark Butcher, the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and managing editor of Wisden.com, Ben Gardner. Crazy test match, brilliant test match. Butch, what are your immediate thoughts on what happened yesterday in particular? That first session took the game away from England, Chami and Bummer with a bat, and then England bundled out in 51.5 overs. Um, I, I think the entire day gave you a, a, a window, a very, very large and bright window into um, the relative mindsets of two groups of players, two two teams, two captains, two um, uh, two styles of cricket. Really, one from India is kind of everything. Anything is possible. We'll take the aggressive option where we can. Um, ally that to to sort of some great skill and and uh, and resilience. And with England, it's kind of. We'll hope that something goes goes well. Um, in the event that it looks like it's going to go well, we won't push the uh, push the, the the envelope too hard to make it happen. We'll just hope that it falls into our laps. Um, you can see that in selection. You can see that in um, the way that the team plays. 
Um, and so England, but more often than not, will come down on the negative side of, of the equation, whereas India, more often than not, will come down on the positive side. Um, and that's basically basically what happened yesterday. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you go from being favourites to win win a Test match? Albeit it would have been a tricky run chase. I mean, as as it would have been in the previous one at, uh, at Trent Bridge. But how do you go from that to, to sort of being completely out of the game and hanging on for, for dear life for the last two sessions of the match is quite incredible. But it's a, it's a microcosm of, of the two brands, if I have to use that word, and I just did, the two brands of cricket that, that, we're, that we're being treated to from both of these teams. I kind of feel that we, after every England game, especially England defeat, we, we try and kind of retrospectively put a narrative on the game. I wonder, like, aren't India just much, much better than England? That England have three of their best players in home tests out. Stokes, Wokes, Broad. Um, this is a very good India team. If you did a combined 11 of India and England at the moment with the players available, it's probably India with Bruton Anderson. Well, that's actually what I was going to ask, Butch, as, as you were saying that, how much of that is down to the players that they've got at their disposal? Where you take Ben Stokes out by far England's most positive yeah. cricketer. Joffre Archer, a cricketer that allows you to do things. Uh, I don't think we can underestimate the impact that not having Chris Wokes there. Chris Wokes for Sam Curran in the side would elevate it significantly from a bowling perspective, I think from a batting perspective too. So, you know, it's Kohli is a, a, an openly more positive, aggressive captain than Root in every sense, but, but he has got a lot more to work with. Um, all right, well, dial it back to January, Australia. India away from home against Australia without nearly all of their best players go and win a test series including winning a test match at the Gabba I mean you know you could you could <laughs> that's all yeah that's for as far as I'm concerned that's where you look um, they've managed to do it away from home in Australia with heart with none of the, the players that they would have chosen to have on the park for that game and they've now turned over England at, and don't forget that this is at home you know these are conditions English conditions that are as far away removed from those in Chennai and Ahmedabad and, and wherever um, in the winter, and and they've kind of just beaten us at our own game at home. Regardless, you know, and yeah, granted, with there were a few players missing, but even so, you know, we got India into a position where they were 180 ahead for eight with none of those players in the team, right? Yeah, you know, none of those players were in the team at 180 for eight when you know when some some smarts, some nows, just a little bit of holding your nerve would have probably seen India off for 220 at worst. And giving England an excellent chance of going after it. Now, again, I'm not saying that they would have chased it down. You'd have been looking at Joe Root making 100 again, probably. Um, but, you know, th those are the facts of the, the situation. Um, you know, yeah, there's all sorts of things you can point at. You know, the schedule, this type of thing. Well, you know, we had nine rounds of championship matches before the New Zealand series, and we didn't win that one either. You know, <laughs> there's all kinds of... You can make any excuse you want for, for, the, for the way that things are going. But I think if you've been watching the England test team for, for a little while, you can kind of see the, the, the road of travel. Um, and the fact that we've got some incredibly good players that kind of mask a lot of those deficiencies um, is, is a great thing when they're there, but also makes it a stark reality when they're not. Yeah, I do, I do see what you're saying. Yes, I don't think in a way it's, it's exactly the result that's remarkable here. I think that you probably would have tipped India to win this series beforehand, uh, or most people did anyway. And, uh, and this, you know, they have now their one up after two. I think a lot of people might have predicted that was going to be the case. It is the, the style of the win. And it's hard to think of 
another test where a team has been sort of like narrowly ahead, but it's been pretty close over four days for one team to then win it so the other team to win it so decisively on the fifth. That's what's amazing, and that is what we're starting to see a bit of a pattern of it. And, and in India under Kohli, I think they've kind of sort of gradually improved, but they were a team that was sort of competing away from home, but throwing away those sorts of chances like we saw in when England beat them 4-1 in 2018, despite them being pretty evenly matched because England were the team that were like, that were winning those key moments. You know, Stokes taking uh, like important wickets on the final day or Curran smashing a quick 60, all of that sort of thing. Whereas now they just believe that they're going to kind of win uh, no matter who's playing for them, no matter who's playing in the opposition, no kind of no matter what the game situation is. And that's what happened at, at the Gabba because that's also, there's the analogy there just between the... Um, uh, the, the the two final days that India went into like reasonably heavily unfancied in both and then kind of just just play with with, with a kind of no fear thing I think you uh, and I think Cody does does take some credit for that obviously his, his antics are sort of a bit love more hate him but he he does seem to have, have imbued this team with a certain confidence and you can you can look at certain selections you can look at the fact that he leaves Rishabh Pant out of the first test of the series in Australia but then you look at how Pant then becomes embodied with confidence after that. Like Coley himself went home after that. I mean, we're, yeah. you know, we're kind of giving him an enormous amount of credit if he's he's, kept, he's marshaled that victory from home. No, but but I, I know what you're saying. I yeah. know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we talked about this for quite a long time yesterday. And I wonder just like, how much credit do you give Coley? Um, Joe, we were talking about this before we, we were on air and you described it as Coley's Coley-ness yesterday. Was it, it was kind of as extreme Almost as it can peak, really get? It? It, was, it was astonishing. And I, and I wonder if you get that, that extreme comes out when he's not getting many runs and he, he was having a word with the English batsman after every over and I was kind of thinking I'm absolutely fine with that but if you're having a word with him every over with the England batsman every over you don't have as much time to talk to your bowlers and <laughs> set your veals um, and and also I just kind of find you know the way he celebrates just it's it's a bit irritating but I just wonder like actually how helpful is it you know if you take a slip catch and you run away yourself as if you score the winner in a cup final, like how how actually helpful is that? And I just wonder if do, does Coley get almost too much credit for just having a really good cricket team? Well, if you're going to do that, it can come back and bite you on the ass, and you can look pretty stupid. And we actually came very close to that yesterday. I mean, if it if it dropped, well, sorry, obviously he dropped Butler, um, and actually at one stage Butler Robinson got to a point where he thought well, England should really save the game from here. At which point Coley would have been responsible for for India not winning that game. Um, you know, I mean, I, th- I think it's all pretty good theatre, really. I, I, I know there is there is a certain annoyance at times, um, but I, th- I think in all all in all, it's very good for for Test cricket. Um, I just think when we talk about England's defeats here, we talk about them underperforming. We talk about the schedule. We talk about priority white ball cricket. At what point do we actually just start to say that this current side, there are some great cricketers not in it, is actually not underperforming and they're perhaps just not that good? We've got players like. Sibley's played 22 tests. Sam Curran's played 23. Burns has played 27. Those They all have now have a record, which was a jest. They're not good enough for test cricket. Now, that's not to say they can't perform in test cricket. They've all had glimpses. But they've all played... I mean, from Butcher's era, guys with their records wouldn't have played six test matches, let alone played 20-odd. Um, I think we... I think someone like Sam Curran, I mean, we, we talk about this. He makes things happen. Well... Is that because we're a bit surprised when he does make something happen? Because actually, on the face of it, his record suggests that not much is coming. He's what hasn't scored a Test fifty in almost three years now. Uh, he's got a bowling record of uh, average of twenty, uh, sorry, thirty six in Test cricket. These aren't numbers that suggest actually he deserves his place in the side. Now, look, Stokes would play ahead of him, Wokes would play ahead of him. England are doing what they can do, but 
there is a paucity of options around in so many positions. The opener, which I'm sure we'll come on to as we seem to every single week, they are short of options. And and I absolutely take Butch's point about the fantastic win for India in Australia and what that showed about their mentality. But it also showed the wealth of options they've got at their disposal, which increasingly in Red Bull cricket, England just don't seem to have. I think I think on Curry in, in particular, it's quite interesting comparing his record at this point in his career compared to Wokes. Stokes and Broad. So after 23 test matches, Curran has the best bowling average of the three. And I also think that um, if you're a cricketer who makes things happen, as, as Curran obviously is, um, you're given the ball when things aren't happening for, the, for your, your teammates. I think he's given the ball a, period, a bit like Stokes, to be honest. Stokes has become so good at it, but Stokes has given the ball when it's as difficult as possible. And he's also still only 23. He's only played seven first-class games in the last year and a half. And six of them have been for England. It's like, isn't yeah? I, 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 completely get what I, mean, I do, I do wonder. I mean, the England sort of again moaning about or pointing out that that, that they've not had the all rounders that they'd have wanted. So hence couldn't balance the team, which goes back to New Zealand and the and the whole without Ben Stokes, there's nothing we can do thing. Well, actually, in this Test match, they did. I mean, they picked Moen Ali, right, which was absolutely correct. So you had a, a number seven all-rounder in the team already. Now, they could then have picked another, either another specialist batsman or another specialist seam bowler. Could they not? You know no, what no, I mean? Sam Curran has a sort of, you know, they kind of went a little, went a little bit each way with Sam Curran and went, well, we'll, we'll, get a, we'll have a little bit of both, deepen the, the batting line up a bit um, and, and have a, you know, a utility type, um, you know, swing bowler. And his record against India is terrific. You know, there, there are some compelling reasons as to why you would pick him. But it kind of, it, it, it sort of, it, it lets you know that really the excuse that you couldn't balance the side without Ben Stokes is actually nonsense because they chose to play two two bowling all-rounders. Is if Moe and Ali's batting at seven, he's a bowling all-rounder, right? Um, I think that really, I think that gets increasingly shown up as well when you look at that Indian four-pace attack. They're just There is no let-up and that they just... I mean, they bowled really, really well yesterday. I mean, that should also be said. Have we actually said that yet? No, quite well. They, they were the difference between England's yesterday. fourth seamer in Sam Curran and India's fourth seamer, who you wouldn't be able to tell who their fourth seamer is because they've got four who are so good. Really, there's a drop-off there that India just don't have to deal with. And particularly when you've got English batsmen under pressure who don't score particularly freely, they've got nowhere to go. I think part of what we're seeing is just England are probably the fourth best team in the world and they've got a year where they're exclusively playing one, two and three with the exception of that Sri Lanka series at the beginning of the year. So I'm not hugely surprised with, with what we're seeing. Um, but you are right. We should definitely talk about the Indian bowlers. Ben, how, how impressed were you by Siraj, Bumra, etc. yesterday? My moment of the week, by the way, is, is the Bumra slow ball to Robinson, which is basically the perfect off-break from around the wicket. Yeah, also quite funny because Bumra was saying that Anderson was telling him, can he please bowl it slow? And then he uh, <laughs> bowls it slow and, uh, and wins the game. Uh, yeah, they, they were all brilliant. And actually, also, maybe Cody deserves some credit for how he managed those bowlers on that final day. It can quite easily get to a stage where you're not really sure when you've got 10 overs left, who do you go to? I mean, to, for, I mean for, for Siraj to be bowling in that spell when he's, you know, the junior member of that attack, really, if you had to pick one out, and for him to be the one that wins it is, again, that's a, a huge show of faith from Kohli. And he was obviously totally vindicated. But yeah, I, th- I think they were, I mean, they were just all all brilliant, completely relentless Uh and and it was it was also it was the bowlers, but it was also the whole fielding performance. Like you saw, even before Burns got out very early on, uh, I think the first ball he maybe either edged or played and missed at, and the the, the slip cordon and all the fielders just kind of like converged on him yeah. like an umbrella, and then like kind of got back into their positions. And it was just it was just completely suffocating. And Coley apparently said in the huddle like, 
uh, I want it to be like 60 overs of hell out there. And that's, that's basically exactly what it was. And it was it was the bowlers doing it. And I mean, even Jadeja, who's there kind of, kind of as a batsman at number seven, just to hold the player holding role, has done that when he's needed to. He's like kept it very, very tight on that third day, which actually now you look at it with actually, although India won it by 150 runs, like that gave them an extra 10 overs because they would have needed to bat for longer after lunch if they hadn't, uh, if, they, if, they, if that lead had been a bit more. That is also a crucial period. I mean, it's a, so it's a fabulous decula- declaration. England, England got themselves into that position by basically coming out and, and, and doing... I was listening to Vaughan on the radio as I was driving to somewhere else again. Um, the, you know, talking about sort of England employing the sort of schoolboy tactics to come out and trying to bully, you know, bully the tail enders and all that kind of stuff, taking their eyes off the ball, not, not just basic, doing the basics and trying to get them out. And of course, you do that in the third innings of the game. It's you guys that are going to face all that face all that stuff when the game's on the line in the last. So I have, you know, I have very little sympathy or, or very little um, admonishment for India in the way that they carried on in the last innings. That was basically giving in the England back what they what they tried to dish out, um, you know, the the uh, in that morning. Um, I mean, you know, how terrified of how terrified do you need to be as a as a captain and as a as, as a bowling lineup? To have to literally have all of your men on the fence to Mohammed Shami. What do you average test cricket before that before that innings? One of the worst test number eights of all time. You right. could probably yeah. say before this test. There, you know, there's, there's and Bumrah averages three or something like yeah. this. I mean, how, you know, how this is, which goes back to the very beginning of the, you know, the sort of like the, the terrified nature of all the decision making is always based around what is the worst case scenario. And not just, you know what, we back ourselves to be good enough to do this. And, you know, they might get a few streaky ones, but they're not going to do that forever. Um, I think I didn't even have the problem. I have every sympathy with a captain who's got buddy, you know, who's got a Mike Hussey or you know one of the one of the the top order left in seventy eight not out with the with the tail. I have every sympathy for that because it's a nightmare and you're trying to balance, trying to get enough balls at the tail ends. But you have got two bleeding tail enders there together, neither of whom can bat, and you basically say and you basically give them carte blanche to kind of you basically wait for them to slog one up in the air. It's just that beggar's belief. It really does. I mean, so obviously the buck stops with the captain and Root came out yesterday and, and held his hands up and said he got that wrong. But from your experience of, of, of playing for England and Surrey, how much responsibility should the captain actually be taking there? There will be discussions. James Anderson is, is out yeah. there. He, he must have given, well, I don't say, I assume he'd given that plan the go-ahead. Otherwise, he's, not, ca- he's not one to not let no, his feelings known if he didn't absolutely. like it. Absolutely, but I mean, as a, I was never... I was never a senior, clearly never a senior bowler in the side, but there's no way that I would have not had my feelings very strongly known about how, it, you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't right, Nasser and I would get into rows all the time on the field about, you know, because everyone's responsible, aren't they? The whole team loses. Yeah, uh, it's that the captain has the the casting vote always, so it's always the captain's fault. I, you know, I don't care what anybody says; it's he, always the captain. He has the casting vote. Correct. No, absolutely. Very unfair. Yes, but it is. But it's but it's his. You know, it's his call. Root, root. And if you're standing there at slip and you're watching what's going on and you're think and you're not thinking to yourself, you know what, this this isn't right. This <laughs> this is not right. Then you must do something about it. I and you don't without, ca- and without Stokes there, without Broader. I wondered if the if the right people were there. Well, you can give us a bit of guidance for me. If you if you can't see that by yourself, then you're not a captain. Yeah. I think one right, so- that is the ship is burning down around you, and you've decided to you know to jettison the lifeboats. That's that's your fault. Root, Root does obviously go to that short ball attack quite often, and he that that, that you, you know you can 
find lots of examples of questionings on for your captaincy. And, and yesterday he said it was a tactical thing to go with that method of attack, but it did feel like just an emotional thing what? as I mean, well, uh, but, because there was the, the, the just because actually, I mean, if people listen to this, just to the, there was the Boomer moment to Anderson on the final evening when Boomer bowled four no balls in the over, uh, hit Anderson a couple of times, they exchanged words, they walked off and it kind of felt like the implicit thing was just you wait until you come out to bat. And, yeah, hence, and actually hence the schoolboy hence the schoolboy reaction yeah. the only thing is if you're fair enough again if you're bowling at Viv and the only thing you've got left in the locker is is to bowl short at him and you've got three men back in the slips you've got no no slips or whatever we're talking about two of the worst batsmen in the world exactly with nobody in a position where did, did Joe Root or, or Mark Wood or any of those guys not think well you know what the chances are he's not going to play a brilliant hook shot and it's going to go flying out out to the bloke at deep square but it might just go straight up in the air and get caught a slip they or it might plop right well. by your feet. But this is what I'm saying. Yeah. You're, what you're, you're setting a field for two blokes, expecting them to hit you out of the park. And if that isn't expecting the worst possible case scenario, I don't know what is. Mm. No, I think it's quite interesting. I mean, Rook came out at the end of the day and held his hands up, which I agree with you is very strange given all he's done for in this series. But I think there are, there are always just a few moments with, with Rook's captaincy that you're kind, of, you're kind of left with your head scratching a little bit. I thought um, on day one... We should talk about day one and how, how good Indy were on that day uh, later. But on day one, Coley, who has looked out of form this series, and England on that day, that was a starkest day where Robinson and Anderson were so far ahead of where Root and Cohen were that day. Coley comes in and those guys barely bowl at Coley and Coley gets a pretty easy 40 and then falls to Robinson with a new ball um, late in the day. And then also on day four, Robinson, who's been very good all summer, only bowled 10 overs in the entire day when England were really searching for wickets and according to Crickviz, um, uh, false shots percentage, etc. Um, Robinson was the most threatening bowler to Pajara and Rahane, but I think bowled the fewest overs to them. I think there's just a few kind of small things that you're not quite sure what he's doing sometimes. Yeah, I've said it a few times on the show that I think sometimes we can overestimate how important the on-field captaincy is compared to everything else in captaincy and, and Root has at times kept an England team together that under other captains would fall apart basically uh with you know really tough away tours uh stuff with you know representation lo- loads of things like that uh and rarely you can look at decisions and say he should he should be doing this should be doing this and actually it's often quite rare that those things are the deciding thing in a test match that's normally more a brilliant hundred or a brilliant fifer but i think you can look at that fifth morning and say that is when england lost it and it is because of, of their tactics it's not India played well, but it's not because of how brilliantly they played. That is that was the defining passage of the game, really. A period of the game where India definitely played very well was in day one. Uh, Rohit and Rahul um, both both absolutely brilliant. Joe, uh, th- th- we're, we're talking about so many li- little moments in the game that could be the difference, but that was one of them that first day. It was. So I should actually confess, I was at a, a wedding this weekend in Devon, so I watched day one and day five of this test match. So I can't quite figure out how England were in it at any stage because <laughs> you could. <laughs> Couldn't have had two more one-sided days of test cricket, really. Uh, yeah, they were just, it was just perfect test match batting, wasn't it? That's, I mean, it's in difficult conditions against two very good new ball bowlers, they just played it and judged it perfectly. Um, I think, I mean, they've really shown up. As you said, you look down the comparative teams and there's very few England players that would get in this India team. Um, but I think that, that at the top of the order, that's where the, the golfing class has been shown most most clearly so far in the series. Uh, and the runs that are scored and the way the runs are scored, also at the speed they're scored. I mean, I think Rowett and Rahul, their strike rate's only about 45 for the series. It's, they're not they're not coming out and, and, and kind of playing loads of shots, but 
they are keeping the scoreboard moving and, and simply I think it's right it's 22 for this series and it's just it's so hard even if he doesn't get out for the first 10 overs England haven't gone anywhere India haven't been damaged in any way whatsoever whereas on that first day Rohit and Rahul kept things moving enough that India were, were clearly getting away from England in that game and look through route they managed to reel them back and, and almost single-handedly with a bit of help from Bairstow but um, that really set up the game I, I thought maybe it was just kind of recency bias I thought Siraj was a bit unlucky not to get player of the match personally but then thinking back to day one that was a bit of a masterclass from Rahul yeah, yeah the, the only thing I say to that is Rahul has started very slowly so he, he kind of uh, catches up I guess when England tire and I guess as you mentioned earlier England have had a drop off between opening bowlers and bowlers three and four um, he, ha- he has been really slow and, and I guess like I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to criticise strike rates because Pajara and Rane went nowhere for a session on day four and that was probably worth it in the end two guys who were slightly out of nick um, yeah, I, but it's I, also it's who you're batting with. So he's got Rowe at the other end, who who is still scoring, and we and England don't have that at the moment. They've got two openers who are either, both out of form and don't score quickly. And also, England know that Rahul has got the ability to move through the gears, whereas Burns has at times in good form in Test cricket shown that. Sibley hasn't really shown that. He's just stayed at one pace throughout, which is his game. When it's not working, it looks terrible. Uh, and I think. Well, I, I, th- I don't think he'll play the next test. You've got the definition of, of test match batting there. I mean, we've had you know, all kinds of discussions about batting, but the very definition of it is, is that you have to, you need to be able to to keep out the good balls and ride things out when it's very tough, and that can mean you know extremely low strike rates. I mean, there's a good reason why strike rate doesn't play a part in the in the stats for test cricket. But then, you know, then when, when things ease up or when you've won the you know, won that particular battle, then you need to be able to capitalise and, and push the game forward for your team. That's the, that is test match batting. And what you've got is two guys there in, in, in Rohit and, and Rahul who not only are capable of scoring, you know, 70 ball hundreds in, in 50 over cricket, but can also go out there and, and make 150, 200 ball 70s in test matches, all without really changing the method a great deal. Um, because because they are sound in what they do, um, and the, and and then it, then all it becomes is a change in mentality, um, and so you know for, you can have all the arguments you want about technique, all the arguments you want about schedules, all the argument you want about the white ball doesn't do anything, the red ball doesn't do anything, but you've got two guys there who are the epitome of kind of what batsmanship is. That's just that's batsmanship. That's not that's not skewed to one side or another. Being able to go slow, go quick, go slow again, go extra quick, that's that's batting, right? Am I I'm not making that up. Yeah, the, the one thing I would <laughs> the one thing I would say, and this isn't this isn't to take anything away from uh from Rahul and Rohit, it's more to offer like a sort of limited defence of, of Sibley is that the England attack just also gives you a little bit more. Like there is no let up with the Indian attack, whereas Curran uh gave, gave there were like four freebies early on to Rohit on the first morning and that and from that point on he was sort of in he had a bit of a score to his name and, and it just yeah. becomes easier when you but get to, to but to t- kind cooking. of de-twitterize the argument I'm not I'm not saying that they're good therefore the other guy's bad sure. I'm just saying that's that's just a factual that's just a factual definition of what test match batting is now you would I would argue that Dom Sibley is not capable of doing the other the other parts of it but we're not. That's not the conversation I'm having here. You can have your own view of whether Sibley is, is, you know, has a place, a future in the Test match lineup. I would say that, that that being out of Nick and and playing like Dom Sibley does makes it very, very unlikely that you're gonna that he's gonna stick around for for much longer at the moment. 
Predictably, we've got quite a few questions on exactly that. <laughs> uh, so Nav Jobs... I mean, I've, not, I've not got a massive massive book full of answers as to who should come in and take it's, his exactly, place. Exactly, I, I mean, think that is a crucial aspect to it. So Nav Singh asks, is this the end of the road for Sibley and Burns? I mean, there are some fairly bleak stats on, on the pair. There are nine ducks between them in 2021 alone. Uh, no, bats, no opening batsman has ever registered as many ducks in a calendar year as Burns has. Um, this year but once he gets to one he averages 52 as long as he doesn't get a duck <laughs> he averages 52 um, I think before I go to Ben and Joe on, on Sibley I think it's on slightly unfair on him to just kind of take that Sibley in 2021 is like what Sibley has been like before for England I think in previous years he has He's, he's not shown many gears, but he's had a second gear. This year, he has just had one gear. And I think what India are doing very, very well, Ben, we were talking about this earlier, that India are bowling a really good length to him, but bowling towards his legs and packing the, the front square on the leg side. And he, he really doesn't have an answer for that. And well, that is that is the difference between Sibley in 2021 to 2020. And, and also, it's kind of every so often, it's not as if their plan is just to bowl it sort of yeah. at a good length, swinging into his legs. It's that... They're basically keeping him dry because he doesn't have many scoring options or really any scoring options outside off stump. And then that one release shot that he plays, they build up the pressure and they bowl the, the shot that should be the release ball, but they have the field set for when he hits it in the air into the leg side, which is that now how he's got out twice. So, yeah, I mean, and, and it's tough because if you, you know, if you, if you have a few scoring shots and they manage to find a way that one of them is getting out, you can go to the other ones. But that is kind of the only way that Sibley scores runs and India have got him out twice playing those shots. It's, yeah, it's pretty tough on him. Um, related to that, David Shervington asks, has the Hasib Hamid redemption plot line now been cancelled by the writers? No, it's just another <laughs> twist, isn't it? <laughs> another <laughs> twist. Um, None of us had him batting at three for a start. No, and that's the thing. I mean, and that's, again, doesn't help Sibley's case that you've got someone batting at three who was picked to be the opener uh, should an opening spot come available. And, and now there is one. Uh, the problem is we don't have a number three. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can keep rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic, but um, yeah. you're not going to find the number three out of... I mean, personally, for what it's worth, I would I would give Pope a go at three because I think he's the best equipped to do it of the options available. It's definitely not an ideal option. Uh, he's not going so well in the one-day cup, Yeah, scores of 15, North and one, including uh, an LBW, that, uh, a ball from a left-arm seam that came into him and he was clean ball by Chris Rushworth. It's quite doesn't it? It doesn't make any difference. Yeah. So. <laughs> and also an average of... 27 I mean as one of the best better for England in test cricket this year for, for Pope but it's not as if he's been like normally you move up to number three because you've been like you've shown you're too good for number six is what you know it's what Ponting does it's I, what... I, yeah I mean look I, I happen to think that it's it's time to stop messing about with with promise you can't have an entire batting lineup based around the promise of tomorrow and that someone like Milan is is if if I was picking some, if I'd picked somebody to play at number three for Lords last week, Milan would have played. If Hasib was going to play, he would have he'd have opened the batting instead of one of the two in there at the moment. That's that's what I would have done. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I would not have sort of had the two opening batters who, with all of the struggles that they're having right now, and then backed him up with another bloke coming back into the side for the first time in five years or whatever it is. Yeah, batting out of position. I mean, that how is that shoring anything up? That's just another. That's just another wish, isn't it? It's another hope. Um, that things fall, cut, turn out to be all right on the night. There's nothing. There's nothing solid about that. And his really, really bad year for Lanks, he batted three in that quite a lot. So his first class average batting three batting is, three is, 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 like, is right. like fifteen. So, he, so he's done it, and he was terrible at it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Have, a, have a go. These guys aren't very good at bowling. <laughs> there's, all, there's also an issue of. 
tempo there as well, right? If you've got well, two, yeah. if you've got two yeah. openers who don't score quickly, and Hamid comes yep. out with three, and you still haven't got anywhere. All of that, and you know, and again, there's there's an argument bouncing around in the in the com box at the moment about you know what are you picking for? Are you picking for for today in this game, or are you picking for tomorrow? And the answer is is as with everything generally, is it's somewhere in between. But you cannot tell me that they've picked Hasib to bat number three with Sibley and Burns up in front of them thinking that is going to be our lineup for the Ashes in the winter. Yeah. Have they? Well, I mean, what is that? What are you doing there? What you're doing there is you're, is you're positioning people to, to shift around when somebody else fails. And that's no way to pick a team. You make the decision based on what you think the, the, ab, the absolute right thing, the best case scenario is. Um, and the best. So if all the three of those guys had made runs in this test match and England hadn't lost it, um, and they go on and, you know, average 30-odd each in, throughout the rest of the series. Are they gonna, is that going to be, oh, you beauty, we've got, the, we've got the opening line-up to take on the Aussies at home? Mm. No, that's, that's going to be, oh, Christ, could we have done something better than that, yeah. you know? I think the thing that is quite worrying is just the fact that none of these players are getting better and they're getting quite a lot worse. So, so like, after the 2019 Ashes, uh, winning obviously failed to reclaim it, they, Ed Smith picked that reasonably show, showy squad, I guess, for New Zealand uh, which had lots of young players. I mean, Pope and Sibley were the two standout counterbatsmen, but they were also young players who would need to be given a chance. He also picked uh, Zach Crawley. You could argue they've kind of done the same with with Dan Lawrence. And yet Pope has kind of gone backwards a bit. Sibley has definitely gone backwards. Crawley is obviously, there was that amazing innings, but has again gone backwards since then. And not, none of those players have come in and improved in the test side. Burns, and Burns too as well. That 2019 Ashes series should have been quite a defining moment for Burns having had a tricky start and that, and it's just tailed away again since. Yeah, that, that's true. I guess Burns has had, because he, he's had the, had the bad injury in South Africa and then came back in, it was a little bit stop start and then struggled with spin. But yes, him too. But also in terms of like the, the picking youth and backing it, that was a fair enough policy, but that only, you can only justify the policy if those players are get better by being in the side and by being around the test setup, which... None of them really have. And I, it's it was quite an old think... team for this test match, by the way. Um, what, sorry? Quite an old England side. I yeah. think five or six players in their 30s. Which Root is... was like the fourth or fifth youngest, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. Do you think part of this is is a symptom of just how much test cricket England play? That Aside from all the, the fatigue and all that kind of stuff, but just test careers progress very, very quickly in one way or the other. As it has, as it's happened for England batsmen, they've... They've all gone the same way, and it's not the good way. Yeah, and you, what what you're saying is that they've all kind of blink, and and they've all gone past twenty odd test matches. You know, you, there's this not been it. there's not been a lot of time to take stock and make adjustments, make improvements, or whatever, because you're just on to the next one, on to the next this one. Yeah, there might be something. I, in there. I mean, you all know better than me. It, it just it feels very tough to stop when that slide is on. It feels very tough oh, to stop it. It is, it is, and and that's why you know it almost in a in a in a way of um of being of being cruel to be kind I think you know in the same way they did with Craw- Crawley it's like mate okay step aside you're young enough to come again go and get yourself sorted out um, and, and the similar thing with, with Dom now because I can't, how, how is he going to make a run in this series the way that they're going at him at the moment um, you know and unless he suddenly suddenly um, discovers a, a blazing offside game um, it's going to be miserable, and it'd be miserable for everybody because you know one of one of Dom, Dom's greatest strengths is one of the things that people le- like about him least, and that's his stickability. And so, but you know, I've got people calling me up going, "I've paid 180 quid for a seat to go and watch this bloke, but you know, block the crap out of it." You know, people don't like watching him play. You know, the the, the bowling attack if he if he does it the way that he wants to and makes makes big runs, absolutely loves it. But all the while, he's in terrible nick. <laughs> 
it's not, it's not pretty, is it? Yeah, there was a notable change in emotion among the England fan base when Dom Sibley got out cheap in the first innings, and everyone was like, like just like apoplectic almost, and then and then Hamid comes in, misses a straight one, and everyone's like, oh, don't, don't worry, don't worry, little baby, it's going to be okay, sort of thing. It was like, <laughs> um, Ben, what did you make of Moeen's return to the fold? It kind of came out of nowhere, and I kind of wonder what changed in in one Test match. Yeah, I think I think that that speaks to England's muddled thinking the fact that he wasn't in the squad for the first test and then was for the second when actually not much had changed in that game that suggested that you know isn't it's not as it I mean maybe they realized they got to the fourth day and they're like oh we, we could really do with a spinner here and we don't have one possibly uh which obviously is something you should think about when you're picking a team in a test match squad uh or maybe they just kind of felt like we need a, a, a bit of experience I don't uh, it's it's not yeah he, he did okay batted okay a couple of times and, and bowled well, especially on that that fourth evening, um, uh, when he yeah the, the ball to get Jadeja was particularly lovely. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it, I don't think anything really did change. To be honest, between the first and second tests, uh, England needed an all rounder for the first uh, and didn't have one, and so went in with a, a skewed team. Uh, I guess Lawrence struggled a bit, and so maybe they were like, actually, we're not going to lose much in the batting. But I think it's just. They kind of made a little mistake for the first test and realised that that's the balance they've got to go for with whatever way possible, almost. I hope this isn't the case, but I do also wonder if his 100 form like helped persuade them in some way. And with Moen, so much of it, and you hear this, Joe Root said even after the game yesterday, he's so happy to have Moen back in the side and, and a happy Moen. And I do, I, even though there is obviously no comparison between batting in the 100 and batting in the test match, with Moen, they think it's almost different because once he's enjoying his cricket and look and, and just a generally happier figure then he plays better, whatever the format. So, so perhaps there was some logic in that. And whilst his numbers don't jump off the page from this test match, from what I saw, it was quite encouraging. I thought he looked as solid as anyone um, blocking out for the draw yesterday until Siraj came on, who I thought bowled beautifully mm-hmm. at him. Uh, just kept getting it to go across him repeatedly. And, and Moen got a bit unstuck there. But until that point, he, he, he looked really solid. Um, and Joe, before uh, finally on the test match, reasons for England fans to be optimistic? Oh, I didn't know you were going to come to me for that. I don't ever have any. What, what, Joe, what, Joe Root's good. What have we got? Joe Root is a very good batsman. Um, I would say English Test cricket has looked pretty bleak. <laughs> well, it's obviously it's a, good, a lot. good start for England positive. <laughs> where am I going with this? <laughs> and sometimes it's not as bad as it feels like it, it should be. You know, I mean, they, they were they were a day's cricket away from winning a Test match, which they probably didn't deserve to do. Um, they can do that again. Uh, it is pretty tough to see it against this India side. I mean, I think India are unlucky not to be 2-0 up, really. Uh, and no, I, I haven't really given you a reason to be positive, I, have I? I, I? Chris Wokes, if if Chris Wokes... Is he, is he going to be... Well, the squad I'd, might be announced by the time because it's... No, it's being announced tomorrow. tomorrow. The pod yeah, will be, be out by then. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So Chris Wokes might be back. I think he's had a bruised heel and hopefully that doesn't take months and months to... To get uh, to get better, he he is a player who has said that he prefers to play some cricket He's before play playing some cricket, which, which, which I guess most people <laughs> no one gets that luxury to do. these days. Yeah. So. Uh, but I mean, you, you could almost make the argument that he's like like he's pretty close to Stokes as England's like best player in home tests because of what he brings with bat and ball, and for you know how good he was last summer, he is a significant upgrade on Sam Curran. And for yeah, and and for all. India's eventual dominance that was a game of, of fine margins that a player of Wokes' quality could affect. I mean, it, you know, it, it, England need Root to have another, like, well, two test matches like he's had in the first two of the series if they are to get anywhere closer during the series. I guess another positive, Bairstow looks better as a test batsman than he has done kind of since 
his recall in Sri Lanka in 2018. Um, so that that is a positive si- sign. If he and and he is a player who can score Test match hundreds, even if he hasn't done it in a long time. Root's form is just extraordinary. Yes. At the moment. Yes. Is uh, that, sorry, is that what you want to see? You want to talk, yeah. talk about Joe Root? Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's a fabulous player, and from a and from a slightly um, slightly selfish point of view, um, it's wonderful to see somebody batting relatively normally make lots of runs. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that, you know, I'll throw that in. Uh, the other thing was actually, was I, I remember having a bit of a warm glow um, when Mark Wood and Moeen were kind of, uh, were, were getting England into a position where they might win the game with the ball. Because again, that, that, that speaks of um, something that I'm very fond of in terms of picking test match teams in that you, you're not just picking a, a, a team for the first morning of the game. You know, high speed, um, on a wearing pitch, you know, potential, the potential for the ball to reverse swing as things get drier. And of course, a, you know, a, a wicket-taking spin option are all utterly essential if you're going to win a test match over the course of four or five days. Um, unfortunately, England managed to blow it. And, the, you know, the injury to Mark Wood, who knows how much of a difference that that made in the end, you know, all to save a run diving at the boundary. Um, but, you know, so that... I like that because that's you know that's that's how test matches are played and won you know with you have those options to call upon at a time when the conditions change to suit them um, you don't you don't pick a team hoping that the conditions are going to suit the eleven that you put out there you have to be in front of the conditions one of Wood's best performances in home test possibly his best actually um, Pajara ball he, he if if there is any sort of an even bounce on the pitch he'll find it and Pajara was I mean I know it's batting slowly but he looked immovable and that was like completely unplayable the way it just leapt and, and t- 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 he's suddenly very important to England's test prospects again isn't he? I remember we, not so long ago we were saying well actually maybe we should focus more on him as a white ball bowler because England had so many pacemen around well stones <laughs> down archers down and suddenly actually as far as they've got still some very good seamers wood is something completely different to whatever else is available in Australia sure but this summer as well um, otherwise that's quite a one paced attack without him yeah, absolutely. And I hope um, Joe Root takes it as a compliment that he is so good that we don't really need to dwell on him scoring an unbeaten 180. Um, <laughs> two, that's two, two awesome knocks, isn't it? Mm. And, the, and to end up almost being two down, having made them, is quite... Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. And it wouldn't. It, he would not be human if he wasn't sat at home at some point going, do I really need... Do I need this? You know, I could just go out there and score my runs and not have to worry with all the other crap that's going on at the moment because... Good lord, there's some crap coming this winter. Well, I it was the first, first test hundred and losing cause for him, wasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. It's a stat that I quite like, and it, it, it Root feels a bit like this at the moment. Like, so, Brian Lara in that West Indies team, when he was just so much better than every other player in it, he, I think he made seven, set seven scores above 175 in a test defeat, and no one else has made more than two such scores. And, and it's, it's a record. I mean, Root has plenty of records he might break before the end of this year. This might be one. Yeah, or at least it could be second to Lara, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, this week's podcast is brought to you by Sixes Cricket Club. If you haven't heard about Sixes, Sixes Cricket Club is the new cricket-themed social entertainment venue with a restaurant, a bar and cricket nets. Sixes have club houses in Fulham, Fitzrovia and a third venue opening up in Manchester in a couple of weeks' time. All Wisdom podcast listeners can receive 10% off their food and drink by quoting Wisdom 10 on their booking notes or when they arrive at the venue. They're very salubrious spots as well, aren't they? I could not believe how, how magnificent they were on the inside. So if I'm um, smacking the ball around in the nets um, whilst having a couple of gin and tonics is your thing, then get down there. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Wh- whose thing isn't that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, there was an amazing test match this week in the Caribbean with West Indies beating Pakistan by just one wicket with Ian Bishop providing the soundtrack to the winning moment. Um, Jaden Seals became the youngest West Indian to take a test match Pfeiffer at the age of 19. He was there at the end with the bat as well, putting on 17 with Kemal Roach for the final wicket to take West Indies home. Roach ended up on 30, not out as West Indies chased 167. Ben, you were watching the end of that game as well. Um, Mohamed Rizwan took an amazing running catch to get the ninth wicket and you felt... Seals, is, this is his fourth first-class match. You, you didn't really expect them to get over the line. But Pakistan's fielding, aside from that, was diabolical. Yeah, well, aside from that, and also Imran Butt. Uh, <laughs> yes, just, that's true. That's he, true. He, he can't hugely bat, but he is an incredible slip catcher. He's got. He's averaging, I think, three catches a test of match at the moment, which is a, an astonishing rate. That's a, um, He takes them off the other slips. Yeah. He dives across, yeah, two and three. Oh, so you think, he, you think he's stat padding? He's a... Uh, well, <laughs> Well, he's, he's just so good. He backs himself to take it. Yeah. Probably, he, he doesn't trust his teammate to take the simple ones. So yeah, yeah, he does yeah. across. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, it was an amazing finish. Uh, and, and a brilliant test match as well. Kind of uh, scores around sort of that 250 and then 200 mark that are always really good test matches to watch. And you kind of, eat, uh, even though West Indies weren't chasing a huge amount, it always felt like it was going to be pretty tight. Jermaine Blackwood, the, the fourth innings master, made a, a half century as well. And yeah, just... Uh, it, it was interesting because obviously it was a brilliant test match, uh, but you had a lot of people saying like, isn't this brilliant how great this game is, having probably not followed it hugely until the last sort of <laughs> half hour or so. Um, but yeah, Kimo Roach gave a brilliant post-match interview as well when uh, he was uh, he sort of said, uh, it's a new experience for me batting with the tail. I mean, I'm a part of the tail. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. yeah, that was excellent. Um, I've talked about Seals in the pod before, but he he's... I've wonder, I was waiting for you to give yourself credit as picking him out <laughs> a few months ago. I thought that was going to be part of your intro. Oh, 18 months ago, actually. 18 um, months ago. But he, he's, his action is really similar to Rabada. He's not as quick as Rabada, but he's taller than Rabada. Um, and uh, he got compared to Joseph when he first came into the scene, but I think he's, he's better than Joseph already. Um, and that's a pretty good West Indies attack. And I think he's... He's genuinely going to be pretty special. Um, and just on West Indies, um, they're one win away from a fourth win in the year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they've never won more than four, they haven't won more than four tests in a year this century. Um, and I just think another thing on just West Indies Pakistan at the moment there's a little good pack of sides kind of in the mid table of the test rankings. Pakistan West Indies Safka put on really good test matches when they play each other. Um, sides ranks five, six, seventh in the world. So yeah, all eyes on the second test there. A little uh, nod to Craig Brathwaite as well, mm. who um, played crucial winnings in that game. And also, I think when he took over the captaincy from Holder, I think everyone was a bit taken aback that they would dare to take the captaincy from Holder, who's obviously a very impressive bloke and leader um but it seems so far like quite a smart decision and, and maybe even that holder didn't want it to happen maybe quite a good thing for him in the long run and, and certainly seems to be a good thing for the team so far yeah it was also quite interesting that um a lot of their bigger name players who missed tours last year and early this year for completely understandable reasons haven't actually got back into the side so a lot of guys uh who were, were less fancied haven't played much white ball cricket on as big names around the world have come in um, and done and done really well. So yeah, they're they're uh, an improving side at the moment. It's also a potentially important result in the second cycle of the World Test Championship. There we go. I, I, know, I know we're only <laughs> what three tests into the second cycle, but Pakistan have a schedule where I think they play West Indies, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka away from home, and then Australia, England, and New Zealand at home. So they might well look at that and think actually all those away series are winnable, and we back ourselves in our own conditions. So to lose the first game of a cycle when they might well be eyeing up a spot in the in the final is 
a bit of a setback, I guess. Moving on to the 100. At the time of recording, there are two games to go before the eliminators and then the finals. Um, the final three in the women. So Southern Brave uh, are the, very much the favourites. They're seven from eight and have a place in the final. Sophia Dunkley's in great form. She's averaging just under 50. Danny White has found some form as well at the top of the order. Aussie Amanda Jade Wellington has been excellent with the ball, going under a run a ball and averaging about 10. Um, it's very tight below the Brave. Um, so a big couple of games to follow there. Um, and then in the men's competition, the final three are definitely Southern Brave, Birmingham Phoenix and Trent Rockets. We don't know who's going to finish top yet. Phoenix have a game tonight that could see them go top. Um, Brave have won their last five games in a row off the couple of defeats. At the beginning of the competition, wildcard pick Jake Lintut is doing very well there. He took a few wickets yesterday. Joe, you watched that game? I did, yeah. Um, over the Invincibles were probably... 30 short, I thought, on, on what was a good deck. Uh, and But you thought if any bowling attack in the competition, apart from maybe Brave, actually, uh, could defend it, then it was the Invincibles. Um, and I think everyone was anticipating that Shamsi and Narayan, their kind of two-gun spinners coming into the attack, would, would swing it either way. And actually, um, Southern Brave played them very comfortably. Uh, I don't think either of them took a wicket. Uh, very smart batting from Alex Davis and Colin de Grandhomme, two very different yeah. <laughs> players who bat in very different ways. Uh but just strolled it in the end, really. Uh, over the Invincibles, I think they won every game here at the Oval. And maybe did they not win away from home or maybe just one win? But anyway, it, that's that's what's cost them. Mm-hmm. And if they had won, they'd have probably had an eliminator final here. And you'd have probably fancied them getting through to the final. But um, looking at that side, they'll, they'll probably think they should have gone a bit further than they have done. Because even yeah. that game, Walljacks got off to an absolute fly, yeah. didn't they? They just lost too many wickets 40, early on. They were 47 off 17 last night. And then made, I think, eighty-eight from the from the next eighty eighty-three. That's how that innings went. Um, yeah, and Brave Brave got there easily. I just I'm just I had to check something you said there on the women's. I think Invincibles and the Brave are both through. That that's no problem. I think the the game today between Superchargers and the Birmingham Phoenix will will decide who finishes in the Eliminator um, in the women's tournament. But yeah, I mean the, the the men's is decided, isn't it? With Phoenix, Phoenix could could finish top. Could finish top, yeah. yeah if they they beat Northern Superchargers to neat. Is Moen going to be released back to play in the hundred, or now he's with the test set up? I don't think he can. Can he? I think well, because there is a gap now between this test and the next one. That's what and I, and I wondered yeah. if that was done deliberately so that they could have, uh, you know, hopefully like a bumper final. Oh, okay. But in and, and, in the I way mean, that Ollie Pope's been released to play in the one day cup, but could in theory go back and play the Headingley Test. I, I yeah, mean, that's quite a could swing it either way for, for Phoenix. He's obviously a massive, massive part of that team. Yeah, and it's interesting from from a sort of a, almost a competition in integrity point of view and, and emphasize why ideally there would be a window for the 100 because it's it's in a way, I mean, you know, you have all these players who work really hard to get their team to the final and then see sort of someone else come back in and, and that's who the game is about all of a sudden. And obviously Moeen, you know, he, he's only played one of these two test matches, so he does have a big part in that Birmingham Phoenix story. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was going to ask, actually, a uh, lot of chat about the schedule, but I almost wonder if the 100 is being lost in the background of the Test Series a little bit, and it's quite hard to really expect cricket fans to be fully invested in both. I so don't know do, about do you that. want... Well, I mean, I think because because the point of the 100 is, is that fans of Test Cricket will watch the Test matches and fans that can't stand the idea of the 100 will watch the 100, right? There's been no drop-off in terms of the attendance of the games. Um, you know, we've been obviously down at the the business end, in it. Yeah. So that hasn't, you know, while the test match has been on, 
people have come in and they've still come in their thousands to watch the women's games beforehand, which are happening at the same time that the, that the test match is still live. And then the um, the men's games go on at seven o'clock afterwards. So feasibly, if you're that way inclined, you can what you can do both. And there hasn't it hasn't appeared that there's been a, any great drop off. I mean, I, I, I meant I, more in terms of like TV audiences and general engagement with the tournament. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think. Well, I so think if you think if you've had a day at work and you maybe come back and you watch this, this is all assuming yeah. you've got mm. Sky. But if you come back, watch the last hour or two of the Test match, and then you can flick over and watch watch the hundred, which you might not watch as intensely. But I, I, I that no. seems like quite a logical way for a cricket fan to to spend their evening even if they're not necessarily completely convinced by the 100 yeah so i mean and also i mean so the other there was the other night um where again where was i i think i was in nottingham and i switched on they didn't have sky in the hotel so they had the so but the game was on the bbc so when laurie evans played that stunning knockdown here um and people were texting me about it and whatever so i think I, I think it's i think it's done what it was intended to do which was if you had you know if you're a huge cricket nuffy you watch both um but there's an audience for one and there's an audience for for the other and the numbers i think have, I've, i haven't seen them in the last 10 days or so but the numbers have been extraordinary for for um for tv viewing i almost wonder yaz if they've been our, bigger than the test match one sorry yeah for, for, from our point of view uh sort of working so intensely on a test match obviously we're still following 100 because it's our jobs and because we kind of have to do a bit of coverage of it but you we we feel a bit jaded and tired by the end and feel like it doesn't stick as much but actually as joe says you're starting to feel jaded and tired what hope do the rest of us have ben this, <laughs> oh, this is I'm, 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 I'm an old stage at this point i've been i was the oldest person on last week's pod was i i think <laughs> yes you were yeah yeah, yeah. Who i lo- have on i, lo- I, I love the, the the comments on the on, on uh, some of our youtube videos it was like i had no idea that ben gardner was so young <laughs> he, he looks younger than he is uh, yeah, I've, couple of years. I've got to tell you I am absolutely broken I really am <laughs> I just I kind of I mean look the people have asked me about sort of, you know 100 and that kind of thing I have, I'm I, as as I always have been I'm ambivalent towards the, the 100 balls thing I think that and, and in essence it's made no difference anyway it really hasn't that, that that side of it has not cut through but what has cut through has been the it's been the marketing, which has been excellent. The fact that people have been able to watch it on the beam as well as on Sky. And again, you can take your pick as well because you've got, you know, the BBC have very much tailored it towards an audience that's never seen it before. Whereas if you've got Sky, you've, you're a cricket fan. So so we've we've gone a little bit less um, Disney with it all. Um, and, you know, people have, done, what has happened is what I thought would, which is that if you've got it, if it's on every single night, You'll either you'll either catch up with something by accident, or you'll be interested in following your team, and you can see them play every single time, which you've never been able to do in the blast. Um, and that side of it has made it has made it easy to follow, um, and has and has kind of fed into the success around, which has been based around how much money's been pumped at it, right? Um, and as as I had a, I stood in a in a meeting, a committee meeting when I was on the general committee at the Oval, and I you know I had I confronted the ECB over the idea that they were selling something that was supposed to be completely revolutionary different. And I just said to them, well, it isn't really, it's T20, but you've pumped a load of cash into it. <laughs> and that, you know, and the thing that I agree with you on, i.e. that there's eight teams and the game is going to be on every night, that is going to work for you. I have no doubt that that's going to work, and it has. Um, the only interesting thing for me is going to be what happens when the next year, because the games were supposed to be, it was supposed to go, um, you know, the women were supposed to play at the, the, the smaller smaller venues in standalone games. 
and the men were going to do what they've done. But of course, now what we've seen has been that the, the, the bump for the women's game has been astronomical. And I cannot see how they're going to go away from doing them as double headers. I mean, that's the thing that's killing us all at the moment is doing the, <laughs> the travelling and the early, you know, the, the, the long day starts or whatever. I'm sure people, are, hearts are bleeding for them. But the point is, is that now that that's, that rabbit is out of the hat and now seeing what that's done for the, for the women's game at large um, and the, the, uh, the awareness of it and, the, and the, the amount of young girls coming to the games and everything, that's, that rabbit's not going back in the hat. As you kind of alluded to, you watch a lot of it. Has there been anything that's caught your eye in the last week? Um, well, Laurie's knock on, the, on, the, on national TV the other day was one. I mean, I've, I know Laurie, he's a friend of mine, isn't it? so it was quite good fun to watch. Um, other than that... I've got, I've got a little bit of... It's just all blurred into, into one thing. <laughs> a, a word on Rashid Khan, given, you know, yeah. about him, everything going that on was, in that Afghanistan was at the moment. Actually, and that was, that was something that I didn't directly allude to on commentary when he was bowling that spell at, at Trent Bridge. But it was kind of... There was a moment he pulled his sort of... Ju- the spell was over and he pulled his jumper over his head and he kind of kept it there and it seemed like he was really sort of big, big intakes of breath. And I sort of, you know, something along the lines of it was difficult to, to know what, what must be going on in his head right now, et cetera, et cetera. And then KP in the, in the break, because he's a, he's a friend of his, sort of went into it and saying, you know, he can't get his family out of Afghanistan. The whole thing's a disaster. It's kind of bigger than, bigger than the 100, bigger than cricket. And he was, and uh, the hyperbole was correct from KP uh, on that occasion. Um, moving on to the Royal London One Day Cup. The final takes place later this week. As we're recording, the second semi is taking place between Surrey and Durham. Uh, and Mark Stoneman Tun rescued Surrey from an iffy start against his former club. In the other semi final, there's an extraordinary performance from Glamorgan all rounder Joe Cook, who took a five foot with the ball. I think he's a leading wicket taker in the competition, actually, before hitting a match winning 66 not out off 56 balls from number seven to take his side over the line with two over to spare against Essex. That, that was the game of the day, really, wasn't it? That was, a, <laughs> that was yesterday, just as the test concluding. Uh, but yeah, and Alistair Cook also strummed a 60-odd in that game, and you just wonder if, uh, if there's any possibility of a little... Uh, <laughs> do, do you mind, Alistair? Yeah. Oh, not this again. He's <laughs> <laughs> barely got a run in the Championship anyway. Yeah. I mean, he's got a few in Test cricket. Yeah. It's, the, it's the schedule. <laughs> um, Joe, new Wisden Cricket Monthly came out recently. What's in it? Um, so the... Main thing was kind of ending England India special. Most thankfully, most of which the pieces are still kind of not too not too dated. Uh, the one I wanted to pick out actually was by Karinya Keshav, who uh, has done a lot of writing for Wisden in the past, uh, a couple of bits for the magazine. Did a profile of Mohammed Siraj um, as the kind of outlier of this Indian team that's over in England, um, as a kind of Muslim from an underprivileged background. Um, I think the rest of the Indian team are fairly kind of solidly middle class. Um, he he really has come from a from a different place in Indian society uh, and I think it's kind of held up as this beacon of what Indian cricket is is kind of, they aspire for it to be, that you can come from anywhere, from any background and still make it. And he is the current kind of holder of that, of that flame and that's why even though I would have probably liked England to hold on yesterday, I couldn't, couldn't begrudge him that performance yesterday. He's a He's a really kind of unbelievable cricketer to watch. Um, and he's a, I mean, he's actually a better bowler than I gave him credit for initially. I thought he was a kind of hardworking bowler, but he's sublimely skillful as well. Um, so Karinia's piece, definitely worth checking out. Um, 
Phil's, I wouldn't say this if Phil was here. Phil's piece on Hamid is probably the best on the uh, best in the magazine, and I'm hopefully he won't listen to this podcast and There's hear me. No say way, that. if he no. listened to the podcast, we'd get an hour in. So yeah, I mean, he's he's following the story that we that we all know, but he he's done it in a in a very lovely way and brought us right bang up to date. We took a punt. We thought Hamid would play in this test series, perhaps not the biggest punt. It seemed like it was probably going to play out that way, and. Uh, as we say, ladies and gentlemen, take your seats for the third act. And that is only just beginning. Uh, <laughs> and, as, as it always has been with Hamid, it started off dramatically, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he looked a bit shaky in the second innings too. But, um, I mean, he has to get another couple of tests in this series. So we'll see what the future holds for him in that one. Um, we've got Lawrence Booth has come on. Wisdom Almanac uh, editor is now a columnist for us. Uh, his first column is giving the verdict on the first fortnight of the 100, what he thinks has worked and what hasn't worked, uh, as I think probably a, he'd say himself a, a sceptic of the of the whole thing uh, initially. And loads of county cricket, interviews with Phil Salt, Chris Benjamin, Marcus Harris. Uh, and we've got a nice interview that Jim Wallace did with Matthew Hoggard on his defining moments of his career, um, one of which he particularly enjoyed was his Barbados hat-trick, which you were there for that one. Butch, which he celebrated in style. We did. We did. That was a two and a half day test match in Barbados with a ten <laughs> with a ten day layover between then and the last one in Antigua. So yeah, I don't know. We might have had fun. West Indies went all right in that game as well, didn't they? The Antigua game. They went all right, yeah, but didn't win. Yeah, True. well, Lara's four hundred. Lara we won. did field yeah. quite a lot. We fielded a lot. I seem to remember. But yeah, all, all was well. Excellent. Um, any other highlights of the mag? You want to pick uh, there's out? a nice Andrew Strauss interview with John Stern talking about obviously the the, the Red for Ruth, which, which was uh, a phenomenal success. Mm. I mean, unbelievable yeah, the amount of money they raised. Yeah. yeah, well over a million in the end. Uh, so he talks a bit about that, but also his kind of place within English cricket. He's definitely got the impression that he was itching for another big job. Not necessarily at the ECB, but I think we'll be seeing him do something a bit more full on as he did at the ECB previously back in English cricket. Mm. He's obviously got a lot to offer and you can just tell from his commentary he still lives and breathes the thing even though uh, he's had a little bit of a step away from it in, in recent times. Mm. Awesome. We can pick up the magazine at wisdom.com forward slash shop. Um, that's all we've got time for on today's show. What about Thanks. my moment of the week? Except from Joe's moment of the week. Brian Lara is a Crystal Palace fan. Yes. Which is thrilling, yes. thrilling news. No way. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I mean, not only is, is he my favourite player... <laughs> But that's just sensational. So it's slightly bizarre. I saw it on Instagram. So it's, it's him <laughs> doing some keepy-uppies uh, whilst talking to camera, welcoming Patrick Vieira to Crystal Palace. No way. Uh, he's he he's just made that up. I mean, I played golf he's with wearing him a couple a of years back. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> someone, sent him someone sent him a shirt. Someone he says him. us. He says, I predict a top 10 finish for us this season. Uh, and, then, fan, and then man. swivels and bullies <laughs> it in the corner over his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> quite surprised me. He is the fourth big name cricket player who we can think of who's a Crystal Palace fan uh, Jordan so, well Butch Butch obviously um, Azarali yeah. you aware of this yes. and, and, yeah, and, no and, I knew and, about Azarali yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Sean Massoud as well and joining other celebrity fans including uh, Joe Brand and uh, Neil Morrissey that's extraordinary <laughs> it's close to wisdom.com 11 there I think yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, superb well, thank god we got that in exactly that, that is that's 100% worth it um <laughs> Anyway, that's all we have time for on today's show. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Butch. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends and we'll see you next week. Cheers.
Social Podcast Network.